What's up, young adults? How we doing? <laughs> that good, huh? All right. See what we're working with tonight. Okay. Um, hey, we are so glad that you guys are here. Thank you for coming to the meetup last week. That was a miracle. I had so much fun that night. It was beautiful outside. For those of you who prayed against rain, you done good. You done good. I don't know which one of you, like, hail married or I don't know, but it worked, and it was one of the most beautiful nights we have ever had in Colorado, I think. And so thank you for praying, and thank you for coming. Uh, what a beautiful night that was. If you had FOMO and you missed out, you didn't just have fear of missing out. You actually did miss out. It was so cool. And so um, it was so awesome. I ate way too much peanut butter truck, and so it was just really great. Um, we are in a new series called If You Don't Know, Now You Know. If You Don't Know, Now You Know. And the whole series is about the basics of Christianity, the basics of the Christian faith, things like prayer and worship and who is Jesus and what is God and what is this thing called the Bible. And the reason we decided to do this is because we are actually living right now in Western culture. We are living in a time and in a generation that is actually deemed by researchers as being post-Christian. And what this means is that um, about 100 years ago, if you were a follower of Jesus, culture would actually kind of help you by filling in the gaps of your Christianity with um, a cultural narrative of morality, a cultural narrative of what the Bible is, a cultural narrative of who God is and who Jesus is. Well, now we live in a time and in a space where there is no culture, cultural narrative um, that props up Christianity. We are in a post-Christian nation and in a post-Christian generation. And so for a whole bunch of you, you grew up in church, okay? And you grew up in church. Maybe you love Sunday school. Maybe you hated Sunday school. Either way, you are a follower of Jesus now. You love him, but you probably have some maybe doubts every now and then. You probably have some very serious questions every now and then, like what, is, what are the angels about? What does that mean when it says that in the Bible, et cetera, et cetera? And then if you're anything like me, and you were recently saved, okay, like maybe you were saved in the last six months or you were saved in the last couple of years and you grew up like I did without any idea about Christianity or who Jesus is or who God is, for you, you have a ton of questions. And you came into this thing, I remember not knowing anything about the Bible, I remember not knowing what Christmas was about or what Easter was about, right? And for you, you have questions like, who is God? Who is Jesus? What does the Bible say? What's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? What is all this language that people use on the regular? And so our goal is with this is to answer some of these questions. Because right now, we exist in a ministry, young adults, and I want you to understand this, where last week, over 40 people received Jesus for the very first time. And that's like, a, that's like us minimizing the number. It could have been a lot more than that, but at least that many received Christ. This year alone, over 300 people in this ministry alone have received Jesus, have raised their hands, said, yes, I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior this year alone, which is so cool. And you guys, what you need to understand is, is that that isn't normative. Every single t statistic that talks about our generation says that our generation is leaving church in droves, that our church isn't connecting spiritually with the Christian God at all. 
And so we are an anomaly within our generation. I need you to understand this because what's happening here on Thursday nights is it's really miraculous. And I think sometimes like the Israelites and having, you know, manna coming down from heaven, eventually they got to a point where they were like, this isn't so miraculous anymore. And I think sometimes on Thursday nights we can think that what happens here is not as miraculous as it is, but it is. What is happening is nothing short of revival in a building that used to be a Japanese fish market. Like there is revival happening here every Thursday night. Everything that's been said about our generation, we prove to be not true. We're lazy. Well, we show up. Well, you don't work hard for other people. Well, we love serving other people. Well, you don't love God. Well, we actually love God a lot. And so what's happening here is so miraculous. But what's more than that is what's happening at Red Rocks Church is miraculous. There are churches all across America right now that are in decline. Dying churches in Texas, in the, in the Bible Belt, they're just melting off. And for whatever reason, and I don't know why, and God, thank you, I don't know why he decides to use this place. But up until this point, this year of August, just this year, over a thousand people have met Christ for the very first time at the movement that is Red Rocks Church. And so what we are experiencing is something supernatural. And because of that, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility for the things that we do not know. To say, well, I am going to search. We are going to search as a family together until we do know so that we can carry the faith that we have to other people. We have a responsibility to share this gift, this light, this movement with the whole world. And it's possible that it's starting right here. I believe so. And so what we are going to talk about tonight, when it comes to, if you don't know, now you know, we are going to talk about the Bible. And um, I got a lot of resources from my lead pastor, Sean Johnson. If you go to church on Sundays, you should come this Sunday, okay, or Saturday, because this is, we kind of collaborated on this, and this is going to be like kind of a part one, and this weekend he is going to finish up talking about the Bible, and you are not going to want to miss it. Um, I use some of his sermons. I use quotes from C.S. Lewis and a whole bunch of people that are way smarter than me, but the whole goal is for us to understand some of the questions that we have about the Bible together, amen? And so I titled tonight and the truth shall set you free and the truth shall set you free and so let's bow our heads and invite God to be here God we thank you I thank you for every single soul that is in this room God I set myself aside and Holy Spirit we ask that you would move in this place in the here and now that any question that we would have you would meet us in the middle of our doubts you would meet us in the middle of our questions and you would prove yourself as true and authentic to us tonight and so we pray this in the name of Jesus and everybody said Amen. Amen. How many of you have ever been uh, duped before? You, <clears throat> you're the gullible ones, right? You've been duped. When I say you've been duped, I mean you think something is authentic. You think something is real. You think something is, 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 is you know, of value only to find out that it's not, like at all, right? I have been duped. I get duped a lot, okay? Um, it just happens on the regular. Um, I will believe you. You could be like, you could tell me anything about yourself. There was a person here who told me they were in the military multiple times. And I, I thought, like, what a dumb joke for them to do. But they told me. And I was like, oh, that's so. And then he's like, that's, I, why would you believe that? And I'm like, because you said. I don't, I don't understand. So, so, but I got duped this week. I got duped this week on Instagram. And a worship leader who will remain nameless, Oren, was posting... <laughs> 
And he posted this video, and I, I was like, oh, my gosh, he's up at, like, Grand Lake or some beautiful place up in the mountains, and he's, like, you know, videoing, and, I, you know, and I'm feeling like a loser because I'm at home. And as he's videoing, I see a bald eagle, like, in the wild. And I'm like, dude, and I read him, and I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, Oren, that's a, you saw a bald eagle in the wild send, right? And um, I'll show you the video of what I saw. Go ahead and roll that clip. Okay. No, I already hate some of you. I'm already mad. I'm already mad. So I'm like, oh my God. So, okay. So I'm like, oh my, oh, Oren, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen, right? sitting at lunch with a bunch of our staff and I'm like guys that is so am that is amazing that he saw that and my whole staff is like because <laughs> they're just like I don't understand and then I go to Oren's next story and it's and it's this okay look I ain't that old we're like I need glasses or anything I was so mad I was like and it's like, D did you think this was real? And I was like, no. <laughs> you know? It's not the first time that Instagram has fooled me, okay? Because a few months back, it was like in the middle of winter, and I'm scrolling on Instagram, and I see this girl from this store with like, and she's got her Starbucks, and she's like all skinny and pretty, and she's like rolled up in this beautiful sweater. And it's like, buy now, right? And I'm like, oh, I am buying now. And I hit that button, right? And it's like, this is only $19.95. And I'm like, you bet it is. And I like put in my credit card information. And then three weeks go by and like nothing, right? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I got scammed. And I'm like writing them. And then they write me back in like broken English. And they're like, they're like, it's coming, you know? And I'm like, what, what? So I find out that this business isn't really what I thought, okay? I thought I was buying from an authentic, you know, a, an authentic vendor, maybe local, maybe here in America. I wasn't sure. I thought it was in America, right? But it's coming from China. And based on how long it took to get me to get to my house, like they, they mailed it on a donkey, okay? <laughs> and so like two months goes by and it finally gets here. And I'm like, oh, I'm so excited. I don't care how long it took. And I open it up and I get it out. First of all, it kind of smell, it smells interesting, like, like a factory and like regret. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, and so, so I get it out and it looks nothing like the, like it's like two threads and a button, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, you know, because, but I think there are so many times where we believe that something is authentic. We believe that it is real. There's anything but that. We take things to be true. We take things to be valid. There's anything but that. And right now in America, we are suffering from two different things. Number one, the value of the virtue of truth has been degraded. Meaning we don't care and we don't value as a society the idea of truth. Here's how I know. is because you will say what's true for you is not true for me. Okay, well, that's not true. Because then there is no absolute truth. And yet we live in a world and in a society where relativism is our top priority and our top value and absolute truth no longer is. 
The second thing that is becoming more difficult for our generation is it's becoming difficult to decipher what is real and what is authentic from what is fake. And here's what I mean. Right now, by Facebook's own admonition, they have 170 million fake Facebook profiles. That means that there is a company claiming to be a company, and it is anything but that. There is a nonprofit right now taking money from people, and it is anything but a nonprofit. There are people who are posing to be people that they are not, with pictures that are not of them. We live in a world where it is getting difficult to decipher what is real and what is true from what is fake. The reason that um, this has become so prevalent on Facebook that there was a show that came out in 2012 on MTV and it was a documentary series called Catfish. And it would document two people falling in love via online dating and at least one of those, if not both of those, had a very falsified profile where they would use somebody else's picture and they would use somebody else's biographical information in order to lure someone to fall in love with them, which is why we called it catfish, right? It's like you going fishing and being like, I got a fish, and you're so excited, but then you're like, oh, it's a cat. You know it's a catfish. <laughs> and there's an entire show about the reality that what we think is real isn't actually real at all. In the 2016 election, we coined a new term, a new phrase, and it's, it's called fake news. Because all of these articles sh started showing up on Facebook and on Twitter that claim to be from journalists and, and contain journalistic material on facts. And they were anything but that. And I was reading an article from USA Today, and it was talking about the reality that this is only going to get worse, that we are seeing the beginning of fake news. We are in the early stages of fake news. They wrote this. The spread of fabricated news or fake news, memes and photos on social media, particularly through Facebook and Twitter, has severely disrupted our perception of the truth. For example, big and small companies are developing systems to digitally create speech in the precise voice of a speaker. Words, phrases, and sentences the person never actually uttered. Some observers have called this Adobe system Photoshop for the voice. Artificial intelligence entrepreneurs are also devising systems that will enable easy fabrication of videos and photos. Soon, you will be able to create footage, sound clips, and images that make it look like people did things that they never did and said things, church, that they never said and it will be available to the masses. The results will be indistinguishable from reality, said Jeff Kloon, the director of the Evolving Artificial Intelligence Laboratory at the University of Wyoming. We are living in a time and in an age where one, we don't value truth, but number two, it is getting really, really hard to tell what is true and what is fact and what is reality from what is anything but that. And this is important, young adult, because truth matters to the human soul. Truth matters to the human condition. And I feel kind of upset that I even have to defend the idea that truth matters, but it does. It does. It matters for your mind, it matters for your body, and it matters for your soul. 
According to psychologists, if we don't know where to land our plane when it comes to truth, if we don't know where to land our thoughts when it comes to this is true, this is fact, this is real, if we don't have that, we will end up with what is called cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. And it is where you have two conflicting thoughts that war with each other because you don't know what's real. You don't know what's true. And because of this, your brain is in a state of stress. That state of stress carries out into your body. And get this, it makes you behave in ways that you would not otherwise behave. Some of you in here tonight, you are struggling with behaviors. And I wonder tonight if it's because you don't know what's true. It is detrimental to our minds. It is detrimental to our bodies. And it is detrimental to our souls. The Bible says this about us without truth in Hosea 4. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from being priests to me. And then it says this in Isaiah 59. Turning our backs on God, inciting revolt and oppression, uttering lies in our hearts have conceived. Uttering the lies that our hearts have conceived. So justice is driven back. And righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Honesty cannot end. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes prey. What the Bible is saying here is that our human soul is destroyed from lack of truth. That our bodies, that our minds, that our spirits suffer when we are without knowledge. And then Isaiah says that where there is no truth, that there is actually revolt, there is oppression, there is a lack of righteousness, and get this, there is a lack of justice. If you are pro-justice in here, understand that you are pro-truth. They are interrelated. If you are for uh, racial justice, you are for truth. If you are for um, immigration justice, you are for truth. They are interrelated and one in the same. And they cannot be separated from one another. C.S. Lewis put it this way. My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I gotten the idea of just and unjust. How did I even get that idea? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What C.S. Lewis is saying here in a very simple statement is an argument for absolute truth. He's saying I was mad at God because I viewed the injustices in the world as being so cruel and thoughtless. Well, how did he understand what cruel and thoughtless was? He's saying because there must be an existence of justice. How do I know what's foul and evil and wrong? Because somewhere deep within you, you know that there is a truth that is good and honest and real. And it is put there, young adult, because you are made in the image of God. And it is ingrained on the inner sides of your being that you can't even get it out. And so the reason that you recoil at injustice is because you are made in his image. And the reason you recoil is because you want justice. And listen, you actually want what's real and what is true. And God it could not be more different than our world. He could not be more different. He could not be so polar opposite of our world. I hope you understand that. The world is ever-changing. The world decides, listen, the world is going to tell you, do not eat meat. Don't eat meat. Never eat meat. It's so bad for you. Don't eat any meat. All of the animals, all the farms, all the probiotics, all the antibiotics, all the don't, just don't. And you're going to be like, okay. And then a week later, somebody else is going to come out with a study and they're going to be like, only eat meat.
great. And you're gonna be like, I don't like, and you're gonna, you're gonna not know what to do and you're gonna have cognitive dissonance and then you're just gonna go eat a donut. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Jesus says, I could not be further from the world. I'm nothing like that. I don't, ch I don't change all the time. I don't change what I think is real. I don't change what I think is true. I'm steadfast. I'm staying yesterday, today, tomorrow, forever. God never changes. And I don't know about you, but in the world we live in, that gives me boatloads of security. In the world that we live in, that does something to my insides that says, I want that. I want him. I want that versus everything else. I'm so sick of everything changing. God says this in Numbers 23. It says, God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. God says, eat some meat and some vegetables. I'm not going to change my mind. Has he said it and will he not do it? Has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Do you know what God is saying here? When I say something, it's real. When I talk, it's authentic. You can bank your life on it. You can bank your soul on it. It's immovable. It's unchangeable. It's real, and it's honest, and it's nothing like the world. And we have in our grasp something that is his very words. And while the rest of the world is offering us untruths, that make us feel injustices and make us feel oppression and make us feel a lack of peace and cognitive dissonance. What God says about his world, word is that when we know truth, it actually does something to our insides. And listen, it actually sets us free. And so what I wanted to talk about tonight is our questions when it comes to the Bible. I wanted to talk about this book and the questions that you have, the questions that we have as a body when it comes to this book and how precious this book is. So if you just bear with me, we're gonna talk about it for a second. This is uh, 66 books written by a variety of authors over 3,400 years. The very first book that was written most likely was the book of Job, maybe the book of Genesis. The last book that was written uh, was written in 90 AD, it was the book of Revelations. The first part of the Bible, and I'm doing this for everybody in here who is like me and doesn't know anything when it comes to the Bible, or it didn't when you first started. The first part of the Bible is the Old Testament, and it is the story of the creation of human beings and the kind of the arc of humanity, the story of humanity and journey of humanity as kind of the central focus being God's people, the Israelites. And throughout the entire Old Testament, there is a Messiah that is alluded to. There is a Messiah that is pointed to throughout the entire Old Testament. There is a Messiah that is supposed to come and rectify the people of Israel and make everything right that had gone wrong within their nation to build them up, to strengthen them, to bring them to victory and to rule as their king. You have about a 400-year span between the Old Testament and the New Testament. When the New Testament begins, it is at the birth of Jesus Christ. It's the first time we hear prophecy. It's the first time we hear anything from God in 400 years. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are eyewitness accounts or the jotting down of an eyewitness account of the life, the miracles, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. The Acts, the book of Acts, it is a historical book about the beginnings of the church and how it started to spread throughout all of the world. And then you have the epistles. 
And the epistles are letters that are written to the church, the beginnings of the church in first century Judea, okay, and beyond. And it was, they were widely circulated. And so as we talk about this tonight, maybe you have some questions about the Bible. And if so, you're not alone. I've had them too. The first question that I think we all need to maybe ponder and ask and look at is, is the Bible from God? Is the Bible from God? And we believe, historically, doctrinally, and I think I'm going to try to do a good job tonight of pointing out that the Bible is actually inspired by God and that it's inerrant in every way. To be inspired by God means to be written by him or where he inspires other people to write on his behalf. And we believe that the Bible is inspired and we believe that it is inerrant. It says this in 2 Timothy uh, verses 3, uh, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 16. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Okay, so is scripture from God? Well, according to 2 Timothy, the Bible claims about itself that it is from God. The Bible claims has a self-proclamation about itself that it is from God. And it says that all scripture is God-breathed, meaning that God, um, when he inspired people to write on his behalf, he would breathe on human beings, he would breathe on prophets, he would empower them by, their, by his Holy Spirit, and they would write. And they would write out of their own personalities, and some of them would write poetry, and some of them were more literature-bound, and they would write out of their personalities as he had directed and inspired them to write. And according to 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. Now, for some of us, we may say, well, I really like the teachings of Jesus. I think those are from God, but I'm not sure about the whole Jonah and the whale thing. Or I really like this part of the Bible, but I'm going to rip out this part of the Bible. Well, that's impossible to have integrity with the Bible when the Bible itself claims that all scripture is God-breathed. Over 3,000 times in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, it says, thus saith the Lord, over 3,000 times. This is God talking. This is God speaking. These are God's words. And so the Bible claims about itself that it is from God, to which we might say, well, okay, but how do we know, I mean, that's cool, but how do we know that it's from God? And I want to present two ideas to you tonight, two facts to you tonight about uh, the scriptures, about the word of God that I hope will boast, bolster your faith when it comes to God's word. The first thing is this, is that the Bible is profoundly historically accurate, profoundly historically accurate, and not any other re world religion and not any other book of a world religion can say that. Skeptics would come to the Bible, historians would come to the Bible, and they would say, well, I don't know, we don't know if the Bible can be valid, we don't know that the Bible can be true, we don't know that it can be trusted, and they would say things like this, they would say, they would bring up issues like the Hittite nation, because the Hittite nation is talked about all throughout the Old Testament, and um, it was talked about by, uh, they were at war at different times with the Israelites, and so it brought up this idea and, and people group of the Hittite nation that, and they said, historians would say, well, these people never existed. There's no archaeological evidence for the Hittites. There's, we don't find pottery. We don't find, there's no literature. There's no tablets. There's nothing to say that these people even actually existed. So the Bible, gotcha, can't be trusted. And so a few years later, in I think it was uh, 1906, they did an archaeological dig. And they found, they uncovered the capital city of the Hittite nation. 
Fast forward a little bit later, and they found 40 other cities that belonged to the Hittite nation that they were able to uncover. And historians and archaeologists were kind of like, oh, man, because the Bible knew more about history than the experts. Over a couple decades ago, um, historians would come and they would say, well, the Bible can't be true. It can't be true because uh, according to the Word of God, according to the Old Testament, certain books of the Bible were written by Moses. And Moses lived and, and grew up during a time when he was illiterate, when, when the nation of Egypt did not, they were illiterate. They didn't read and they didn't write. They did petroglyphs, okay? They didn't read, they didn't write. So there's no way Moses could have written those books, and so there's no way that the Bible can be validated as being authentic or being true. Now, fast forward to a couple decades after that, and it says this. Many years later, however, archaeological uh, digs uncovered tablets, scrolls, writing instruments that clearly show a good portion of Moses' contemporaries were literate. In fact, quite intelligent and sophisticated. And so once again, the experts of the day, the archaeologists, the historians, were like, oh, because the Bible knew more about our history than we do. There's a man named um, William Lane Craig, and he's a professor, and he is a Christian. But he says when it comes to the historical accuracy of the Bible, it's just profound. The book of Luke alone has geological precision that's unmatched. He's able to label, Luke labels magistrates and judges and people that existed during that day. And he said, it's, it would be like me trying to write down everybody that, that's a governor right now, except for I don't know. But Luke knew everybody. And he got every single one right. When you compare this, and I, I don't want to, I actually don't, but when you compare this to other world religions, and I won't name names, although I could, there's no other book that holds a candle to the Bible when it comes to historical accuracy. That's the first thing you need to understand about what you read. The second thing is this, is that if you wanna build your faith tonight about that the Bible is from God, that it is from a supernatural being, you should read about the prophecies in the Old Testament that predict the coming of Jesus and how specific they are. There's 55 extremely specific prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled by Jesus. There are 340 prophecies in the Old Testament that are a little bit more general that are fulfilled by Jesus. And so if you want to build your faith tonight, I mean, a mathematician in here, come and tell me, what is the odds, what is the probability of 340 things written about Jesus 750 years before he was born coming true in the person and in the death and in the resurrection of Christ? And I'll be like, cool, man, you got me, you're so smart. Tell me the odds of that. See, church, we live by faith, but it's not blind faith. We live according to his word, but we have reason behind our faith. We have probability behind our faith. We're not a bunch of loons running around believing something that's completely untrue. We believe that the Bible is inspired by God. The second thing is this, that the Bible is reliable. The Bible is reliable. You may say, okay, cool, Jess. I mean, maybe God inspired some dudes, got into some prophets' heads, and they, like, penned some stuff down. But how do we know that what we are reading today is what they wrote then? Like, how do we know that what we're reading right now actually is the real deal? Because it was, like, thousands of years ago, and it's been copied, and, like, probably some dude was like, I'm going to add some color to this. You know, like, like, how do we know? 
So the first thing is we need to understand, was the Bible accurate when it was written? Okay? Was the Bible, and I'm just going to talk about the New Testament for a second. Was the Bible accurate when it was written? And the answer is yes. Yes, it was very accurate. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were written 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus, okay? 40 years. And at that time, they became widely circulated among all the churches that had already come out of the resurrection of Christ. Okay, so Jesus resurrects, the church starts, and it's like, it's like, I mean, like wildfire. Like, it just takes off, okay? And all of the apostles are like, oh, dude, you know, and they like, because they got a whole bunch of people, they got to train, and they got it. So they start writing their eyewitness accounts of Jesus. They start writing that. The reason it's important that you understand that they write the eyewitness accounts of Jesus is this. Well, a couple reasons. Number one, when other world religions die for their faith, they are dying for what they believe. When an, a man from ISIS straps a bomb to his body, please don't come bomb me. When a man from ISIS straps a bomb to his body and he walks into a building, he is dying for what he believes. When the apostles, minus John, were martyred, when they died, they were not dying for what they believed. You need to understand this. They were dying for what they saw. They were dying because they saw Jesus die. They saw him do miracles, and then they saw him be alive again. They did not die for what they believed. They died for what they saw. This is important. The second reason this is important, that it was an eyewitness account, is because they would circulate all of these gospels 40 years after Jesus has, had resurrected, and because it was an eyewitness account, and they were like, this is what happened, but it was so close to when Jesus had resurrected that if someone was there the day that they said, well, Jesus showed up to like 200 people, or like he met us on the beach, or he did this miracle, people could be like, oh, that never happened. I was, I was there that day. It would be like this. It's 2018. 40 years ago was 1978. It was the year that the Broncos, the Denver Broncos, woo! And the Dallas Cowboys went to a Super Bowl. Boo. And that year, we were defeated soundly. We lost good. We lost, we lost bad, okay? And this would be like 40 years going by and my dad being like, well, I'm going to listen. I'm going to write this article about how what actually, because I want the Broncos to be remembered in a positive light. So I'm going to write about how the Broncos that day, actually the quarterback did this thing and then there was this big run and then there was a Hail Mary and then like, and then, and then the Broncos actually won. Okay, so he writes this all down and then he starts like putting it in newspapers and stuff like that. And everybody would be like, no, because I was there, you dummy. And, you know, you, these people that have been alive for 40 plus years, they would be like, Don, no, I was there. That never happened, dude. Love, love, like the letter, but it never happened, man. So what would be possible 40 years after the resurrection of Jesus is people would look at the apostles and they'd be like, that never happened. You're dumb. And nobody did that. That's how we know that the Bible was accurate when it was written. Now, you may say, okay, well, cool, it was accurate when it was written, but is it accurate now? Like, there's been copies upon copies upon copies, and they're like thousands of years old, and so how do we know? 
Well, you need to understand about when it comes to a historian authenticating an ancient piece of literature, okay? When a historian is looking at an ancient piece of literature, I want to make sure I get this right, he's going to do it with three different uh, validity tests. Number one, how many copies were found? This is so rad. Number two, where they were found. Number three, how closely they can be dated to the original. Okay, so they want to know how many copies, how close to the original site were they, and then how close to the original date were they. Okay, that's what they want to know. And so, for example, you studied, how many of you studied Plato in high school? Wow. <laughs> y'all went to some, y'all are like, I didn't go, I didn't go to school. Like, <laughs> it's fine. I'm kidding, I'm messing with you. All right, so, we never, none of your, none of your teachers are like, we're, I don't know if we can be sure about the historical accuracy of this ancient piece of literature. They never say that about Plato, which is interesting. Because it was written in 427 BC, most of his writings. One particular piece of literature that you read in high school, that you read in high school. Historians say it's valid, it's authentic. It's an authentic piece of ancient literature because we found seven copies. Oh my we found seven copies, and they're all, they're all, they all match up, and they're close to the original date. You've read Homer's Iliad, maybe. Homer's Iliad, amen. There was, there was one, all right. <laughs> it was written 750 B.C., and historians resoundingly say this is an authentic piece of ancient literature. We know that it's authentic. We know that it's in its truest form based on the original because we have found 643 copies. They all match up and they're close to the original date. When it comes to the Bible, oh my gosh, let this build your faith. Let this build your faith. We don't have a dumb book. When it comes to the Bible, we are within 100 years of the original copy. 100 years, which in, for historians, for, for people who are trying to authentic, authenticate literature, that's awesome. That is great. And there are over 24,000 copies of the Bible, of the manuscripts of the Bible. 24,000. And they all match up. I mean, there might be like a his, her, you know, a his and then a her, but it's like, who cares, dude? That's unbelievable. There is, more, there is more authentication for this book than most ancient texts that we will ever read. There's more physical proof for the Bible than the Roman Empire. Like, what do you want? Sorry. We have faith. It's not blind faith. It's not like some dude wrote on scrolls and then nobody ever saw him again. Like... We live by a book that is a miraculous book, it's a powerful book. And the last thing that we need to know about the Bible, and this is where I want to pastor you for a second, is that the Bible is alive. The Bible is alive. It says this in Hebrews. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even uh, to by dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes and the intentions of our heart. Um, in John, it says that the Bible was with God in the beginning, that the word was with God in the beginning, and the word was God. Understand, and I don't even, it's like a mystery, but the, God's word and God's personhood are intrinsically related. 
They are, they, are, they are kind of put together in some way, shape, and form. And because of that, this thing is supernatural. It is, I don't even get it sometimes. I will be reading it and it clips me in a way that only the Bible can do, in the way that only the word of God can do. It judges our intentions. It leads us in the way everlasting. It lights our path. It is able to bring us, according to John, freedom. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so how, you, how free are you feeling tonight, young adult? Oh, awesome. Some of you are like pumped. Yes. I want you to close your eyes for a second and let's just do a quick exercise. Right now in your world, in your life, what are your biggest fears, your biggest worries, your largest pains, and your biggest issues? And I want you to picture them. And now I want you to think about where you go. You can go ahead and open your eyes. Where do you go to find truth for those things? Where do you go to find a rectification for what is in your soul, something to be a balm to your soul, something to be a healer to your soul? Where do you go? Because I know where I go, and it isn't always the Bible, just being real. And I'm going to tell on myself here, but if I am searching for truth, I'm going to go to a whole bunch of other places besides God's word first, and I don't know why. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to be like, well, here's what I am going to seek out my own opinion about this topic. What do I think? How am I going to fix this scenario? How can I possibly rectify this ruined relationship? I should probably think about it and come up with my own opinion. If that doesn't work, then I will go to the opinions of my friends the relative and ever-changing opinions of my friends and family members. And I'll be like, what do you think? And they'll be like, well, you know, and then I'll do a little bit of convincing and they'll be like, well, now you say that. Actually, you're the right one. You know what I mean? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. The relative and ever-changing opinions of my friends and my family members. If that doesn't work, if I'm maybe, if I'm feeling stressed out or I'm feeling anxious, then this is where I go. <laughs> and I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like, I'm feeling tight chested and I, my toes, you know, it's like, you have cancer. And I'm like, oh no. <laughs> if that doesn't work, then I start to go to news outlets and I love the news. So please don't, I'm not trying to make a point about journalism. I love journalism. But if that doesn't work, I'll go to the news. And they'll be like, okay, well tell me what's wrong with our world. How do we fix it, news? If that doesn't work, then I'm going to go to a Netflix documentary. And Netflix is going to tell me, don't go to SeaWorld and only eat meat and only eat vegetables. And I'm going to be like, okay. Super stressed out after I watch that. If that doesn't work, I'm going to go here. I'm going to go to Instagram, and I'm going to just look at videos hoping I'll feel better. <laughs> For real. If that doesn't work, and please tell me you've done this, I will Google my problem. <laughs> I literally have been, I've been like, how do you forgive a friend that has betrayed you, Google? <laughs> Don't say I'm alone, right? You're like, how do I get a boyfriend? Like, for real. <laughs> you know. You know. Don't lie. Don't lie. We go to all of these places. 
I don't know about you, church, but when I get done from one of these, I feel ill at rest. I feel a lack of peace. I do not feel free. And I wonder tonight if God's like, look, and, I, and let me say this, I love journalism. I love, I love documentaries. I love people that create art. I love, I love that we're a creative generation. But what's wrong when we have a hard time deciphering what is true from what's not real? The human soul was meant to anchor itself to something real. The human soul was meant to anchor itself to something true. In 1494, there was a man that was born in England, and his name was William Tyndale. He was born and studied under a dude named Erasmus, and he learned seven languages. He became proficient in seven languages, and then he became proficient in Greek and in Hebrew. And he had the ambition and the goal. At this time, the only people that read the Bibles were the popes, the priests, the bishops, because they were written in Latin. And so they would read the Bible and then they would translate it for the congregation. And that was how you received this. This is crazy to me. Crazy to me. And he had a passion. He was like, I want the layman to be able to read it. I want people like you and like me to be able to read it. And so hundreds of years ago, this dude was like, I care so much about this. And he set out on this ambition of translating the Bible for the very first time from the Greek, the New Testament, from the Greek into the English. And in 1525, he did it for the very first time. He translated from the Greek, the New Testament, into English so that people like you and people like me could read it. About a decade later, he was accused of heresy by the church and by the king. And they strapped him to a pole. And they put gunpowder around him. And they lit him on fire and he burned alive. I say all this to say, young adult, that when you read this, people have died. Not because of what they believe. Because of what they saw. And people have died. Not because of what they believed, but because they wanted people to have access to something supernatural. People have given their lives and everything that they have so that you and I can have this living, active, sharper than any double-edged sword, able to pierce the human heart, divide soul from spirit and bone from marrow, able to judge the intentions of the heart and able to set you free. And so if everybody could stand tonight, I want you to know that we live by faith, but it's not blind faith. I want you to understand that we have a book that is unmatched and that we are ludicrous if we look to these things and do not first look to this. God says, I know exactly what you need. You need truth. And he says this in John 17. He says, my word is truth and by it, 
you will be sanctified and be free. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much. God, I pray that we would be a generation that is not complacent and that learns about your goodness and your truth. God, I pray that we would be more like you tonight. I pray that we would be set free in you tonight. I pray that our faith would be built up in you tonight and that as we worship you, God, you would be finding us, man, worthy as we as we lift up praise. Our praise would be worthy of you as we worship you because of your word and because of your authenticity, God, that you would be praised. I pray that angels would look in and be so delighted in this midst and by our worship. God, we love you so much. Thank you for blessing us tonight. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen.